doing? Is that really going to happen? Is it really going to just keep coming back until every one of their students is perfect? Perfect enough. Well, you, yeah, you hope is it to, you know, a few different answers. Um, but, uh, that's not a problem, understandably so, given that there appear to be, uh, contradictory statements, perhaps. Um, but the idea that one should not accept any disciples, I'm not sure there's a correct statement like that in Chaitanya Charitamrita, or, hmm? I don't think so. Or any other caution, don't take many. That is, 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 is definitely, that statement is there, but, Obvious, it's, it should be fairly obvious that if, if a statement was made to the effect that one should not accept any disciples, it's a relative statement. So all the statements of scripture have to be taken into consideration of time and place, who they're being spoken to, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and they may not apply to everybody in all circumstances, certainly. If that was so, then there wouldn't be any disciples, there wouldn't be any gurus. No one should uh, make any disciples. One could even say, no one should make any disciples. Because the implication being, you should see your disciples as your own teachers. Think of it like that. They've come to engage you, speaking about Krishna, giving the service, and so on and so forth. So even if there was a Direct statement like that, there would be a need to uh, explain it rather than in terms of its what it says on its face. Just like there are different statements that will be literally uh, on their face, the mukya understanding is correct. And then there's the lakshan, the lakshan, indirect. Um, Gona, excuse me, Mukya Gona. So the classic example is, um, where do you live? Um, um, uh, um, ah, 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 Ami Ganga. I live on the, where do you live? I live on the Ganga. Oh, okay. You live on the Ganga. Well, obviously, it means he lives over there near the Ganga on the shore. He's not living on the Ganga itself. Most people don't live in the middle of the river, right? So the statement obviously has to be taken rather than on its face, literally. It has to be interpreted. Uh, it's called Gona. Uh, then there's also, um, there's a term, Gavahara. Um, so Vihara. Implied meaning. Hmm. I spoke about this a little bit the other day. So let's say, let's say a lady of, um, questionable character wants to meet with a, a man of questionable character. So they make a plan for a rendezvous in a, in the forest. And there she's waiting for him to come. And a brahmachari from the nearby temple happens to show up pick flowers for the deity. So she says, oh, very nice, you're going to pick flowers for the deity. Uh, don't worry about that dog that always barks here because the lion down nearby 
just ate him. <laughs> so <laughs> she's saying one thing, but the implied meaning is what she wants to say to him is, you better get out of here. <laughs> There's a lion to save a dog just nearby and it could eat you too. So there are many layered meanings. Uh, uh, you need good help sometimes to draw them out, what's being said and so forth. But that's it. We don't know of any direct statement that you know, no one should make any disciples. That wouldn't make any sense. But it is a, one should not make too many disciples or many disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a statement that is relative to um, the, the teacher. So it's the statement means a teacher has to know their own uh, capacity. And not all teachers have the same capacity. So what may be many for one may be few for another. You can say, no, you should not eat too much. Okay. What depends who you're talking to, how much that's going to be. At least six foot, you know, 10 and 300 pounds, maybe, you know, it's going to be different than if I put a person of, you know, 95 pounds. What it means is too much. You should not eat too much. It similarly said, uh, you know, uh, uh, over, you know, over endeavor so for mundane things. One should not enter. We'll need a little bit different for a, one person and another person. So, you know, in these statements, they, you can't look at spiritual life as, okay, I'm going to turn to the book 108, page 108. All the questions are answered. They do ask you to think also. Spiritual life does seek to engage our intelligence also. Not that just to be thrown aside. We do put a caution on the, on, on the limits on the intellect in terms of its capacity to know. By intellect to know alone unto itself, we can't arrive at a knowing that, um, through which we'll feel there's nothing left to be known. Mm-hmm. That's true. It doesn't mean that intellect doesn't have a role to play. So cable yukti, or just uh, intellectual con- conjecture that is not tied to revelation, mm-hmm. which would be shastra yukti, yukti meaning reasoning, Reasoning about the implications of the scriptural statements, how they might apply one person rather than another at one time, uh, place compared to another, uh, or how they might apply in relation to another statement that has been made that's similar or different. This kind of spiritual uh, reasoning, it's called Shastra Yukti. This is required of us. This is what, uh, how we engage our, our intellect also. So it has a role to play, but unto itself alone, you're not going to think your way out of samsara. You might, as I said the other day, go as far as getting a passport, because uh, let's say intellect is the power of discrimination. The fullest expression of that would be discriminate between that which is consciousness, that which is matter, what I am, what what's out there. As I often say, who's asking the question? Understand the difference between the two. That would be a function of what we call sattva-guna. As the Gita says, the symptom of sattva-guna is, is knowledge. So this is, this is the full measure of knowledge. 
in this world that there's that there's the consciousness is is an agent of action and uh, it's what gives value to to um, matter and so forth. So by the exercise of one's discriminating faculty, which will function in different modes of nature. It's not it's also, you know, who's most intelligent. Well, it depends what mode of nature your intelligence is functioning in. You could be very intelligent, but functioning under the primary mood, the mode of passion, and you could be less, have a less, let's say, what they call it, IQ. I don't know if that's even considered a measure of intellect anymore. But in the sattva guna, from which you would conclude, it's not worth getting too worked up about making the world completely a better place, which would be the perspective of Rajaguna, because it's temporary and, and uh, so that's a subject perspective. It was impetus, some impetus for just continually trying to improve the situation. Not that you forego it altogether, but improve it to the extent that I can, as much as that will facilitate my pursuing the transcendence of it. So uh, I'm going to answer it in a very broad way here, but um, so statements have to be a, you know, thought about. Mm-hmm. That's what you're trying to do and, and, and ask me about it. So, one should not accept many disciples. Mm-hmm. Depends on who, 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 who. One has to, who's in a position to accept any disciples, has to think about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you can't get away from the fact that the scriptures are asking us to be honest and, uh, and uh, tell your own temperature. And, a thinking person, albeit a spiritually thinking person. Um, now, you know, I quoted some, some verses, and I'd just like to comment on them in a slightly different way. Um, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu meets a, a Brahmin named Kuma and he tells him, Krishna Upadesh, and he quoted the verse, Amaragin Guru Mantaya. So you go, he wanted to stay with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu said, no, you should go. I'm leaving. <laughs> By the way, you should go out and give Krishna Upadesh instruction about Krishna and be a guru in this way. And there's another famous verse that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu cited, uh, in, in speaking with, uh, 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 in speaking to Ramananda Roy, right? He said, so, uh, here, Raman Roy was from the, uh, Sudhavarna. He was a, um, they call him in Bengal, um, Kayasta. Typically it's the Sudhavarna, but they, they usually would take on a clerical work, administrative work, something to that effect. So such was the situation for Ramananda. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was from the Brahmin family. And he was a sannyasi. And when they met, they embraced and wept. And people thought, what's this? Why are these? This is from a caste, you know, perspective. How are they so intimate? Uh, because the idea would be, well, certain people have different psychology and propensities. And they would be better to be grouped together to flourish in that way. The Kayastas over here, the Brahmins over here, and we have some interaction socially, but there were restrictions that was 
you know, part of the Hindu Varnashram caste system. The Mahaprabhu said his teachings transcend altogether. So he said, Kiva Vipra, Kiva Nyashi, Shudra Tenenai, Ye Krishna Tatpaveta Shehebuhai. Whether he's a Vipra, a Brahmin, Kiva Vipra, Kiva Nyashi, or Sanyasi, Shudra Tenenai, or Shudra, it doesn't matter. If he, or the implication is she, hmm, knows about Krishna, hmm, Krishna Tattva, uh, then she's my guru. Hmm? So he took it right to, to the transcendental platform. Now, some people, some devotees even, whose bhakti is covered by karma, which is not what Rupa Goswami teaches. He says, Gyan karmadi anabritam anukulena krishna bhakti rutama. I'm teaching about uttam bhakti. Uttam bhakti, like a certain type of bhakti. There are other types of sattviki bhakti. There's uh, all types of bhakti. Mixed bhakti. Karma mishra bhakti. Gyan mishra bhakti. Yoga mishra bhakti. Mishra means mixed. Uttam bhakti. He says, he defines it, and in defining it, he says, this kind of bhakti I'm talking about is not covered by gyan or karma. It means it's not performed hmm, like the gyanis sometimes perform karma for mukti. Hmm? It is, it is itself the means and the goal. Bhakti is performed for bhakti. Hmm? For more bhakti. Not for mukti. Hmm? Bhakti can give mukti, but mukti can't give bhakti. Hmm? Even those who want Sarija mukti to merge in Brahman, they say there's no bhakti there. <laughs> and they're right about that. But that's not the only type of liberation. Hmm? So, and karma means I don't do bhakti uh, for improving my material situation, hmm, um, for liberation or for improving my material situation. Or I don't think hmm, that as Gyanmarg is governed by Satvaguna and Karma Marg is governed by Rajaguna, I don't think that bhakti which is nirguna, will be improved by mixing it with karma or gyan. That means I don't think that if I don't follow the Varnashram social system, my bhakti will be impaired. No, it won't. It is, it is another path. That means that my bhakti, I'm following Rupa Goswami's Uttam Bhakti, I'm a sadhaka of that, but I don't think that if I forego the Varnashram mandates in Manasamhita and other texts that pertain to that path, Varnashram, hmm? social religious path, that, 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 that if I don't perform what's being said there, my bhakti will be um, impeded, or that if I do follow it, it will be enhanced. Hmm. So some persons have an idea where they they don't really understand the distinction between bhakti and varnashram. They say, for example, quoting Yamala, Krishna Yamala Tantra. Uh, Rupa Goswami cited the 
That bhakti is not according to the shruti, smriti, and so forth. That is a disturbance to the society. So there's a verse. So you have to follow the manasmriti. But if you, to understand the verse properly, we, we turn to the commentators within our own tradition. What does Yiva Goswami say? This means that those on the path of bhakti, their bhakti should be in accordance with the bhakti shastras. Because that's the path they're on. Not the karma shastras governing karma or jnana. There's some overlapping, but bhakti is a distinct path. In Bhagavatam itself, there's a, there's a real, he speaks in no uncertain terms about it. So you follow the Varnashram perfectly. But Vasudeva Kataruchi, you never got a taste for, for Krishna. Shramaeva Hikevalam. You wasted your time. <laughs> Neither will it taste for Krishna and Radha Bhakti come from following Varnashram. It's a different course. It's not a bad thing. Hmm? But Bhakti's better. <laughs> so, uh, and more generous, and more powerful. It's Nirguna. Hmm? It must be Nirguna if there's a Vaikuntha. If there's Narayan. If there is Krishna uh, who has a form that's eternal, then it must be, then it must move. <laughs> that's Leela. Right? It must be interaction. So, such as the, such as the, the advocacy of, of the Bhagavad and of course of Bhagavad Sampadaya and other relation of Sampadaya, like so forth. So, the point I'm making here is that we take these two verses, Kibali for Kibanashi and uh we become blue. Some people say whose bhakti is covered by Varnashram considerations. Oh uh, yes, he could become an omagi, not you. He could become a Siksha Guru, the Kurma Brahman. Or, uh, Ramananda Roy could be the Siksha Guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but not the Diksha Guru. The Diksha Guru has to be, and then they're going to cite texts from Varnashram, from a Brahmin family, uh, having these qualities and so forth. Never mind verses like this, Satkarmani Punovi Mantra Tantra Vishara, Vishara, Avaishnavo Guru Nasat. Vaishnava Svapato Guru. It's from the Purana. If you have all the six qualities of a Brahman, but you don't have any love for Vishnu, you're not a Vaishnava, then you cannot be the Guru. But if you're born in a family that eats dogs, Svapato, but you're a Vaishnava, then you can be a Guru. And when you quote this, that's a, I mean, six to you. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good trigger. 
Now, the point I want to make here, it's, it's a little bit of a side from what you're asking, but it's an interesting point. The concept of Siksha, Siksha means instruction. Diksha means to impart the mantra, basically. Hmm? Where does the term Siksha Guru come? Do you find it in Bhagavad Gita? No. Do you find it in Upanishads? No. Do you find it in, in, in any Purana? No. You just find guru, 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 the qualities of the guru. You don't find the term, where does this term siksha guru, siksha guru come from? Siksha guru, siksha guru. It comes in Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's a totally a Gaudiya Vaishnav concept. Doesn't make it bad. It makes it good. Since we're Gaudiya Vaishnav, we naturally feel that way, but it's very practical. Very practical. But what does Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami say about the Siksha Guru? He says, the difference between the Siksha Guru, the instructing Guru, and the Diksha Guru, the initiating Guru, is in terms of function. They function differently. But their spiritual standing is equal. So you cannot say, he or she cannot be a Guru, a Diksha Guru, because they can only be a Siksha Guru because they have less qualification. Mm-hmm. It's only a practical function that means to say that, well, uh, for example, he goes on to say, you may have one Diksha Guru, but many Siksha Gurus. Because the mantra is one, so one gives a mantra, but many Siksha Gurus could help you, advise you, and so on and so forth. So the Siksha Guru concept is totally a Gaudiya concept. Mm-hmm. When Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, once you approach a Guru and uh, get instruction from him, he will, uh, as, uh, what does it say? He has seen the truth. What's the verse? He's a tatvadarshi. Hmm? Doesn't say, oh, I meant to say the diksha guru. You can, you can get it. No, there's no distinction there. Hmm? So it's a go, it's a, it's a distinction within Gaudiya Vaishnava society. It's very pragmatic if you look at it historically. Historically, it's pragmatic. Hmm? And this is how. Hmm? Because not all Diksha Gurus in any lineage have proven themselves to be fully qualified in terms, at least in terms of um, depth of knowledge and depth of realization to share with the Sishas, with the the disciples. And so, when this was apparent in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, then this idea was invoked. That rather than, than you will discard the Diksha Guru, you honor the Diksha Guru who was given the Diksha, and you adopt a Siksha Guru for further advice. It's trying to preserve and keep the, the Guru system and sensibility and importance of that in place. It was a very pragmatic kind of um, um, step that was taken. Hmm. Um, interesting. So, but anyway, the point is Siksha Guru, Diksha Guru, they're both supposed to be equally spiritually qualified. It's not that the Diksha Guru is more spiritually qualified. Hmm. Hmm. So, whosoever understands Krishna, you can accept Diksha, Siksha. Now, there may be Social considerations 
that are taken into consideration, social circumstances that are taken into consideration at, at a certain time. If, for example, you're in the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Varnashram is, is the social system and the Brahmins then are the priests, obviously, and they're giving an initiation within, within the Karma Marg and so forth, within the Jnana Marg, hmm? then they may, to fit in, defer and say, you will let those who are qualified amongst them from Brahma families, they, they'll be our initiates and so forth. That's a social consideration. It's not a spiritual consideration. But we may, we, we, we may override that in case of an instance of a very special person, perhaps, but, um, you could take into social considerations because, uh, you want to pass on the teachings and, uh, you have to kind of deal with where the public's at and how they think uh, and so forth. So if there are ways that you can balance the relative and the absolute, for the benefit of the public, then you can do that. But that may not be the social system or circumstances in all instances. Time going forward, there's no Barnashram system. Democracy is you know, taking over. Maybe socialism. <laughs> <laughs> we, we take, we take, we go in the middle. Socialism, you can have Friends, but you lose your identity. You have to do what the group does. <laughs> Capitalism, you, you can't have any friends, but you can have your individual love itself. Cody Varsteps and we have individuality and we have friends at the same time, right? One of the difference. Right? It's not meant to be a political system <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> but it's, uh, it does encompass the best of both sides of those, um, those uh, extremes, if you will. So, um, yeah, so uh, what was the point? So, Siksha Guru, Diksha Guru. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting thought on that. Now, can I answer the question or do one more to it? Uh, yeah, that's good. Um, that's the first time I've heard this. That these two terms were only brought up in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. There's nothing before then. You ever see it in Bhagavad Gita? No. Is it in the stream of Bhagavatam? No. Is it in the Sopanishad? It's totally a, 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 a Gaudiya mm-hmm. uh, concept. And it's it's a nice nice uh, idea, but uh, yeah, that's a different the purport to that verse, Kiva Vipra Kiva Yasi, mm-hmm. the purport Prabhupada quotes Bhakti Siddhanta saying it's really important that we accept that just like what you said, this means Shiksha Guru, Diksha Guru, you can be He says that too. He says if you don't, then the uh our our movement of spreading Krishna consciousness all over the world is stopped. Mm-hmm. Unless we accept it. So he makes a really powerful statement. He's quoting Bhakti Siddhanta's mm-hmm. commentary on that verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because short of that, you have, an, you have an example of Bhakti covered by karma. One thinks, oh, yes, it's very nice that you're a Bhakta, um, but you were born in this family over here, and so we have to take that. That is going to outweigh your spirituality. You're saying that the karma 
situation, let's say from the Barnashram perspective, where you're born is your karma, is going to take precedence over your bhakti. And even though you have it, you can't share it in all ways. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. It's, it's, it's a non-spiritual way of thinking. But it's an example of bhakti covered by karma. Hmm. You know, if you look at street dharma, according to the modest maintenance, there's ways that women are supposed to conduct themselves and so forth. So how does that apply to bhakti? Ask the gopis. <laughs> yes. So, Maharaj, I have a question. Um, the past week or week and a half have been, I feel like we've been um, condensing uh so much of the philosophy and I thought I was expanding upon it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 we're definitely expanding, but within those yeah. windows that you're talking about. So focusing our attention onto those windows that the previous Bodhya Vaishnavacharyas have given us. Mm. Uh, so I have um, two questions because is there, uh, so what I've heard is that Sakya Ras and Madhurya Ras are the two Rasas that the Gaudiya Vaishnavas have given us that portal to enter. So I am wondering, does the Bhagavatam and Goloka Vrindavan have, as you mentioned, the four Rasas? So my first question is, is there a, an opportunity for the other two, Gatsya and Vatsalya, within the Gaudiya Vaishnavism that we have been granted, and if not, then what um, what other spiritual traditions have Goloka as their sadhya and mm-hmm. their those other masters? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for the question. And do you hear the question, Archon City Online? Yes. Yes. So the idea is that here is that the that the uh, the macrocosmic feature of Guru Tattva in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityanandabhu, Krishna and Balaram, coming in another uh, lila. Krishna is pursuing. Radha's, the, the, experience the vantage point of, of Radha's love of him. A peculiar idea. Uh, and Malaram is coming to help him do it. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to participate directly in Madhurya Rasa by speaking about it, glorifying it in ways that he can't in a Brajvila. Malaram mm-hmm. can't openly participate in Krishna's romantic affairs, being the older brother and cause the, Rather to be more respectful in his presence and so forth. So, you know that. So they're both, they, they, for example, Bande Shri Krishna Chaitanya, they're the, the, the Pranam uh, Namaskar, Namaskar verse of Chaitanya Charitamrita, then Krishna Kaviraj offers his, tells us, these are the presiding deities of my book, more and economically. So, uh, and Chaitanya and, and, and Krishna, Nityananda Ram is in Sakyarasa. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is in 
Madhuri Rasa, who brought her off. So, so these are the main currents then. We see that Chaitanya Prabhu started with his associates initiating West Bengal, and they all had lineages of Sakuras, Sakuras. Later then, the lineages of Madhuri Rasa began to develop, coming from the and so forth. So these are the main streams. And Sakiras is, is kind of supportive, just like the Nityananda was supportive of Mahaprabhu's Gopi Bhav and says, go to him, go to him, and so forth. But in, 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 in very at times, persons will be inspired by Nityananda himself and develop Sakiras, right? So these are, these are the prominent streams in Gaudi Vaishnavism. And you can look back historically and that's what you'll find. A particular type of Madhuri Ras, sometimes we call it Mandari Bhav, is, is, is most prominent. And secondarily and in supporting role, we, we find uh, Sakiras and primarily two types of Sakiras. Kabal Sakiras and the Sakiras of the Narmasakas, whose Saka is mixed with Madhuriya. So, these are the prominent windows of opportunity that the Samradaya offers us. Now, at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a contemporary of his was Balabhacharya. Hmm? Balabhacharya was uh, connected to Vishnu Swami Sampradaya. Hmm? And Bala was a very prominent representative of his time, so much so that sometimes it's called the Balabha Sampradaya. Actually, Vishnu Swami Sampradaya. So this is also a Ragmark Sampradaya, a contemporary of Mahaprabhu's in, in Vrindavan, very um, uh, prominent, many followers from, from Gujarat, Balabha Sampradaya. And uh, in his discourse on Sadhana Bhakti and Bhava Bhakti, in Bhakti Rasamrita Singh, Rupa Goswami says, after concluding each section, he says, after concluding the section on Sadhana Bhakti, he says, and there are others who call it Mariada, and it's more or less the same. He's referring to the, the Balabha term, Mariada. At the end of his section on uh, Rag Bhakti, Raghavindra Bhakti, which he calls it, he says, others, and they call it Pushti, more or less the same. Now, if you look at the Pushti Sampradaya, or excuse me, the Balava Sampradaya, the terms we think of is completely different. But the Bhagavad says more or less the same. Which, with that, which, which means to say there's relativity to the philosophy. Because philosophy is an attempt to talk about something. In this case, subject is that which is beyond words, beyond thought. So you're trying to explain it. So how did Jiva Goswami explain the, the nature of the Atma. Hmm. Well, gives a, there's, a, there's a discussion. Did he say that Bhakti was inherent in Jiva or not? Hmm. Right? That's the current discussion. So we're, all we're trying to do is figure out what Jiva Goswami said. And maybe what Bhakti would know if he said something different. That's all you're trying to figure out. Hmm. Now, which is right and which is wrong? Well, if, if there's, a, if there's a difference, you could say, well, the founding of Charis said like this, so that's what they said. That's right in that sense. This is different over here. But we don't need to make necessarily a value judgment, necessarily. We could. 
But if we go to, let's say we go to the Balava Sampradaya, which is more or less the same thing, right? <laughs> and then in Balava Sampradaya, they have a gradation of jivas. One of the gradations is samsaran jivas. Jivas that never get out of samsara. Or we go to Madhva Sampradaya, they have tamasic jivas, rajasic jivas, sattvic jivas. He, he posited this and tried to support it from the Upanishads because he felt that when it said that God is not to be blamed for the inequalities in the world, that is a result of karma. And when the reply comes, well, what happened at the beginning? He must have started them out on unequal feet. Hmm? And the scripture said there was no beginning. Next subject. Then <laughs> <laughs> your head kind of spins around as it should. Hmm. Right. But Madhva felt, yeah, that's true. There is no beginning, but there must be something else that makes the jivas make different choices. Because they're all the same. They would all make the same choices, he thought. Now, listen, I can give an argument against that, but this is how he thought. So therefore, he posited there must be different categories of jivas that make choices within those categories. So there's Radhasic Jeevas, Sattvic Jeevas, Tamasic Jeevas. The Sattvic Jeevas, they'll make the right choices for Mukti. And as Krishna says in the Gita, there are some that are life after life, I put them in demonic wombs. They're, they're envious. There you go. So they're Samsaran Jeevas or Tamasic Jeevas. Now, Gaudi Vaishnavism typically says all Jeevas are equal. We like that. Oh, they're all equal. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> Why do they make different choices? That's a, you know, that's a hole you gotta fill. Right? And, and that may be troublesome for some. So there's gonna be some aspect of the philosophy that just doesn't work for everybody. One little part, for another part. That's not a problem for another person, but another person. There's another part that bothers you. So, so there's a relativity, you know, to, to the scriptures themselves. It's not when someone in the Balava Sambrataya become self-realized, they go, oh, Jeeva Goswami was right about that. He had it right. We had it a little bit wrong over here. We're talking about things that are beyond beyond words. And so you draw from the Upanishads as the as the Acharyas do and try to support their their position on it, what the nature of consciousness is, what the nature of the absolute is. And so there's some relativity to it is the point. It's a point worth taking so that you don't have to think, oh, you know, Again, you have, to, you have to think to be a spiritual person. You have to think about the texts and, and think along these lines as well. So, anyway, back to your point, right? I could say this, though, in reply to Madhva. Each jiva is, this, is equal, but each, but, but they're individuals. Now, you can't be 100% equal and not be the same. So if you're going to say each one is individual and they're all equal, there has to be something that differentiates them at the same time. So in the least, they're differentiated by their subjective experience, which makes them objectively different. So we all experience things differently. We all have will. Also, will is free. So why will choose one thing over another? Anyway, back to your question. During the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Balaba had his sampradaya, and Mahaprabhu deferred to him that he has his own sampradaya. 
They didn't add Sampradaya, but Saliras is prominent. There's also a form of Madhuriras that's, that's prominent, different than the form we find in Chaitanya Sampradaya, but it is a Radmarg Sampradaya, so they're, and they make Srimad Bhagavatam the center focus of their scriptural, uh, Praman, mm-hmm. and, uh, their goal is to obtain Goloka. So, so Mahababu more or less deferred, in other words, to them. That, that's to say, they're more set up, and they have examples of people on the ground who have attained this Vatsali also. So you'd be better equipped to pursue that, given the way they speak about it, the kind of the type of practice that they they um, engage in, and so on and so forth, which is, which is, wouldn't be common comparatively within Gaudiya Vaishnavism. We don't have any songs about attaining Vatsali Rasa, for example. We don't have examples of sadhus in our line longing for that, the sharing the bottle, and so forth. Now, the Dimbarka Sampradaya is another Ragmarg Sampradaya. It's also prominent in Vrindavan. They have, they're interested in a particular type of Madhuri Ras, Sakibhav. They want to enter into a section of the Leela in which there's only Sakibhav. There is no Vatsalya. There is no blood. They're just in the Kunja, and that's it. Sounds peculiar from our point of view, but, uh, but you get some scar from that Sampradaya, and you, you like that idea. So, um, that's uh, one way to think about it, for example. But that isn't to say that somebody couldn't be in Gaudiya Sampradaya and, and develop Vatsalya um, uh, Rasa, which is, is possible. Uh, Gaudiya Vaishnava is pretty, has two sides. It's very broad and very deep at the same time. So in terms of its breadth, it can capture people who might have some scar for even Vaikuntha. Hmm? I've seen that. And, and in the practice of Namsan Kirtan, can easily take one to Vaikuntha. So they may go. Or they may connect with the Ramanuja Sampradaya and get some insight from there, which is the focus to go to Vaikuntha. But, um, so largely speaking, these are the windows of opportunity. There may be some exceptions. Bhakti Vinotaku predicted that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya, his lineage, will, what did he say? Will, um, all the lineages, hmm? all the other Vaishnava lineages will come under the banner of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And you may think, well, that never happened. But in, in many respects, it has, because other Vaishnava Sampradayas have got an international following largely through the Gaudiya Sampradaya and our particular Paribar within the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Prabhupada hmm? like made a bridge, you know, to, to, for this. And they walked across it. People came and made a bridge, chopped down the weeds and whatnot. So the temple started growing and they said, hey, let's go. So now you Even the Balabha Sampradaya came through the path carved out, if you will, by, by Lodi Sampradaya to come to the West. And, and uh, Ramadhi, a little bit, I don't know about much, but they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> So in that sense, it's, it's actually given voice. There's one of the prominent, uh, uh, perspectives of the Gaudiya Sampradaya is that there are other Vaishnava Sampradayas also. 
it's very uh, inclusive. It says, Krishna is the source of the lion. Krishna is too Bhagavan Swayam. But if you want to think of it the other way around, there's a place for that. It's not where we're going. But in Vaikuntha, they think the other way around. Krishna is an avatar. And that's true from that perspective. We were quite accommodating in that sense. Does that help? All right. What else? Any online questions? No. Yes, we have one here. Um, I'm thinking Guru Maharaj. Um, <clears throat> for a long time, I've wondered um, how much projection we, you know, psychological projection uh, we uh, each bring to interpreting some of the philosophy. The, the main one that I wonder myself sometimes if I'm bringing, and I, I think maybe others might uh, relate, is this idea of knowing and awareness, such as remembering past lives or being, you know, making a choice at some point as a jiva of where to go. I, I naturally will project that I'm thinking in English and I'm thinking that this was a choice that I made and I had a conversation or an idea about, hey, that sounds better. Let me go do that. And, and I'd really like to sort of step out of that because it seems contrary to the idea, accepting uh, Srila Prabhupada's idea, you know, his, his statements, that the human form of life is a particularly special form of life, specifically to realize the soul in this way. And it seems, therefore, that the consciousness that we experience in this specific environment in the human body enables us to do this. Or maybe I'm in misinterpreting that aspect and the body has nothing to do with it. And it's really just something to do with association. You know, that we have the association of these Bhagavats that's available here and nowhere else. And so that's, I would like to reconcile that. I wondered if, if you could offer some insight. Well, if I understand your question correctly, uh, one response to it might be that sadhus also associate with animals. They don't react in the same way as humans, right? So consciousness is not something that is a product that has a biological, you know, basis to it. It's 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 not um, uh, consciousness is not just a function of the brain. It's ontologically different than the brain. It's ontologically different than than than, than the mind too. We have physical matter, we have psychic matter, and then we have consciousness, which is not matter. Right? That's our perspective, and um, it's a good one. Um, now that said. While consciousness is not dependent on matter, matter is dependent on consciousness for that value, for that meaning, purpose. Um, it, it is a, a driving force. Scientists will look and say, well, we don't see it. We see electrical energy. We see strong weak nuclear force. We don't see consciousness doing anything. Right? Well, some things go unseen. Yeah, that's true. Even if we look at consciousness just as a witness, some things only happen because someone's watching. But it's more than a witness. It is a doer, but when they're looking for how consciousness moves matter in terms of the physical force. So it's a presumed from the start that it's a physical, has to be a physical force. They used to think that way about gravity too. When Newton first said, to come up with this gravity thought, the guys would be coming back to the occult. 
Because we know that if things only move if something moves, if two physical things touch, then there's movement. He's saying there's movement without anything physical touching. It sounds like, to use the term of Einstein, Einstein, what they say? Spooky? Spooky. He's talking about contact. A little spooky, I know. So you often hear these signs. Nothing spooky now. I'm not saying anything like that. So it's a bad thing. So I think. As if the, if the fact that there's a mystery to life is a bad thing. But as if there's something beyond the can of human intelligence that, 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 that we can't know. Nothing says about it from the point of view of uh, you know, a Darwinian evolutionary perspective that a human should be able to understand everything. That's not part of the, part of the teaching. And we actually live for the mystery. That's what it says. So, it's not that consciousness is a, is a biological product or that it's a, just a function of the brain. But matter does shape consciousness in terms of its ability to express itself. And that shaping that's done is actually instigated by consciousness itself, which acts in a particular way in relation to nature, and nature responds accordingly. Once you can hear it speaking about karma. So you get a body that means a shape, right? And that shape shapes the consciousness. In other words, it, it limits or facilitates whatever the extent to which consciousness can express itself. Let's say you have two vehicles. Let's say a Volkswagen and a BMW. Well, they both have a gas pedal. You can step on the floor, floor it on either one, but the Volkswagen is not going to go as fast as the BMW, right? So depending on the vehicle you have, the shape in which you're in, which is, which is, you didn't know that you are the body, right? You've heard that you're not the body. I'm going to tell you, you are the body. Not that. But what I mean by that is that the body represents your consciousness, and you are your consciousness. So you are your body. How about that? <laughs> it is an expression of, of your consciousness. Now you change your consciousness, you change your shape. And there's a shape to praying that consciousness also. Because praying is love in relation to Krishna. That that form will be eternal. So, so point being that, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it, it, this is it comes to mind in hearing that that yes, the human form of life it facilitates consciousness in ways that less complex forms of life don't. In the human form of life, we have a pressing question that is not that does not arise in the less complex forms of life. There you have questions like how, how to eat, how to sleep, how to make, how to defend, for example. In human life, we have one bigger question, and that is why. Why? Meaning, value, purpose. This is like, oh, give you a big head, right? And that means that consciousness, which is a unit of value, meaning, purpose, gives purpose to matter. Without 
consciousness reflecting on matter. If matter mattered, independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care? The consciousness is the knower, the care, the healer, and so on and so forth. So, so consciousness in ideas, or the Vedanta, in the human form of life, this consciousness is coming to the fore more than it is in the less complex forms of life. And it's asking about itself. Why? Why am I? And it just feels like the physical world is not quite big enough for us. We need to keep making it bigger. We have to go sail across the ocean. We have to go to Mars. Moon wasn't, didn't have any virtues. Well, there are cows on Mars, you know. <laughs> Something like that. So we, you know, or we have to go faster, or we have to do it better. We have to always exceed the limitations that previously we, we, we thought were the limits. And then we do, even if it's by a fraction of a second, we get a gold medal and everybody's celebrating it. So human life is constantly celebrating these extents to which we exceed or transcend it. The boundaries that previously we thought were the limitations, but still we don't fit. Mm-hmm. We're very small, but we're not big enough. We're, we're too big for the world. We're a tiny particle, of atomic particle of consciousness, but we're too big for the world. We don't fit. Mm-hmm. We try to expand the world and make it bigger to fit, but it will, it will never fit. We go to the moon, or let's say we go to Mars. But what were we looking for? We're looking for ourselves. <laughs> you could have done it for free, right? They sat and just lived in a cave and found it. You didn't have to go that far. So this is the idea of Vedanta. So human life, in human life, we feel like we should be able to fly in the sky like birds. We feel like we should be able to go to the bottom of the ocean like, uh, you know, some, some fish. Birds aren't thinking, ah, I wish I could, you know, go to the bottom of the ocean. Fish aren't thinking, I wish I could fly, you know. Maybe some jump a little bit, you know, but <laughs> I capture the moon or something. It's a big fish. So, but humans think like that. That's the self speaking. It's not limited. And they're feeling it. So, so, we, but we pursue it in ways which will not be fruitful. But the point is, relative to your question, as I understand it, yes, the human life does facilitate pursuing the more that we are, both as ourself, as a unit of consciousness, and its potential for a relationship with its source, Bhagwan. So in human life, if we have, therefore, what does Guru Dada say? His poem. Dulava manava janama satsangre tara e bhava sindure. Dulava manava janama. To get manava janama, human life, the dulava, very rare. I mean, there are more species on the end of my finger than there are on the planet in human form. In germ, microbic, you know. Species. There's more here than there are humans. We're, we're, we are maybe 
any draw distinction. <laughs> They're very, 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 very small group. So it's, they say, doulable model. So human birth is very rare. So if you get this, very fortunate. Marsh, my sixth guru, one of my godbrothers sitting with him on the veranda, where he was sick for a couple hours, morning, the afternoon. Answer us foolish questions with answers that make us forget our questions. <laughs> <laughs> and try to live in the answers. He said, uh, Guru Maharaj, today's a very inauspicious day. And Guru Maharaj said, what is that? He said, today is my birthday. I got it. I got it. I was born in his body. body. Guru said, Guru Maharaj said, oh, very auspicious. And he said, the verse from the Quran, there are this, this many thousand species of aquatics, this many thousand species of uh, reptiles, this many birds, this many beasts, and chaktu, four lakhs of types of humans. Exactly what they mean, I'm not sure, but there are a few varieties of us types. But <laughs> um, <laughs> comparatively, very rare. So he was making the point. You've got a human birth. That's very rare. That 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 is uh, that's half the equation. Mm-hmm. So dula manava janama satsanga. You add human life and satsanga. Daraha e bhava sindhu. The bhava sindhu, the ocean of material existence. You can cross over very easily. These two combine. What is the purpose of human life, therefore, we say, to pursue sadhusanga and, and subsequently to, to, to apply ourselves according to the teachings that they exemplify in sadhus and they explicitly teach by way of reference to, to excuse me, the sacred uh, texts, the prominent form of revelation, the, the answer to why. We are the question, why? And the answer comes, um, this is why. Why am I? The sacred text, you are, this is why you are, and this is why you're, you know, this is your purpose, and so forth. And what to do? It's a, it's a conversation. Revelation is, is part of a conversation between humanity, and the Godhead. Hmm. So it's it's ongoing, it's 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 it's, it's dynamic in nature. It's uh, so so both. Right. Yeah. All right. What else? What time is it? It is twelve thirty-four, and we have two questions in the chat if you are up for going over. Okay, what are they? What are they? Okay, the first one is from Indranuja, and it is, I was wondering about initiation and the difference between first and second. It would appear in ISKCON first is heavily emphasized, even to the point where many gurus say you don't need second unless you're on the altar. So could you please address this, please? That was the term to properly use second initiation, first initiation. He would give Harinam, he would give the Maha Mantra to his disciples, ask them to chant them as beads, describe number of rounds and so forth. And at the time, um, 
as their understanding became more uh, developed and their commitment and so forth, then he would give them what we call, what's technically called mantra diksha. So they would impart the, the diksha mantra. Harinam mm. is, 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 is not typically a, a diksha mantra. It is simply uh, a combination of names of God. Mm. The name of God has the power to deliver us. It's not different from God. So it's even independent of diksha. Mm. But if we think, therefore I'll just chant Krishna's name, I don't need a guru. Why should I bother with that? Same owners. Um, of course, if you're thinking like that, you don't have to have a guru, that's true. But you aren't going to get the fruits of chanting the name because one of the offenses to the name is to disrespect the principle of the guru who's Krishna has invested, Bhakti has invested herself in them to be the agents to give the, 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 the name, which is where we got it, from some devotee, right? From sadhus, and to exemplify the teaching and so forth. So if we, if we disrespect the, the principle of guru and think, I'll go without a guru, we'll be, we'll be making offense to the name. Hmm? So we should have a guru who should bless us to chant the holy name and who teach us by example. And it's not a law. It said you must have a guru in the Upanishads. That's not guru. What is that verse? It's a different verse. Um, one must have a guru. I don't look at it like a law, but I look at it like that because we learn from Sadhusanga about bhakti, in the context of that sadhu sangha, some sadhu will stand out to us and we'll feel, I must have him or her as my guru. I feel it. When she speaks, when he speaks, it resonates with me. It's like, yeah, I feel, I, I would have liked to have said it like that. It's, it, he, he's putting it in words, but I couldn't. It's not a foreign thing, foreign like opposition. It's, it's, it feels familiar in a way that we resonate. I feel like I must. And the girl said, no, no, no. Oh, I must. No, no. Something like that. It's usually the other way around. No, no. Oh, you must. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this, we should command by our, you know, what we should, what we should teach, what we should say, we should command respect by the way we conduct ourselves. Not that we should command respect. I'm a guru. Who says? I said. <laughs> so, uh, all kinds of things lend themselves to abuse. Um, but, um, therefore, so, uh, yes, we should, Chant the Hare Krishna mantra, and you, and you, know, you can chant now, anytime, but I mean, we should, uh, naturally, if we want to take advantage of that, seek out good guidance and find a sadhu whom we, in whom we can repose our faith. And, and who, and we should, this should be our worry, our only anxiety, that uh, someone of spiritual consequence is, is, is thinking about me, cares about me. Hmm. I want a connection with such a person. 
It's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> it's not even what, it's also not what you know, it's how much you're willing to learn. Determines how wise you are. So, Harinam, we call it initiation, something like that. That's probably called the first initiation. Now, having done that, what's the need for the second initiation or the Diksha Mantra? Well, that is that is also consisting of Krishna's names, but it's in a particular formula that that serves to foster what we call Sharanagati. Submission to the, to the absolute and so forth. And so the main Diksha Mantra in our Sampradaya is the Gopal Mantra. Found in Gopal Tapani Upanishad. That's which sheds light, Gopal Tapani, on Gopal. This is his mantra. So this is our mantra. It's an 18-syllable mantra. It's the mother of all Krishna mantras, if you will. There are 10 versions, 10-syllable versions, 12-syllable versions. But we, we, uh, our Sampradaya, this is the Diksha Mantra. So that mantra will help us to take advantage of the name of Krishna, which we're already chanting. So if that will help us, how can we possibly say, I don't think I need help. It's okay, but I don't think I need that help. We should, we should think what, Whatever help I can get, I will take, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very important. Now there are other mantras that sometimes different gurus may give at the time of Diksha also, right? You may give a guru mantra, guru gayatri, kam gayatri, um, gora mantra, gora gayatri, which are common, um, ganadhar gayatri. There may be different, different paribars and religious winds are gorya sampradaya. Yeah, but this is the main main mantra. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted the tensile version. Gopu Kumar and Brihadaratamrita also. So uh, it's not uh, a the um, mantra that is imparted is also employed in archan in worshiping the deity. So it's a, there's a, there's a mantra form of the deity. So when one is engaged in archan, in, in seva puja of the deity of Krishna, then, then the diksha mantra will also, uh, be invoked in, in different procedures and so forth. So without that, it's thought, therefore, you cannot do the archan. Mm-hmm. But, the mantra is not only for the purpose of allowing someone to do archan, as I'm saying. It has a bigger um, scope to it. Therefore, it said, what is that verse? Mm-hmm. Krishna mantra. Sangsar mochan. Krishna nam. Krishna charan. I forget all the words in between, but sangsar mochan. Sangsar mochan means to to get freedom from samsara, the Krishna mantra means the Diksha mantra is for that. And the Krishna mantra, Krishna nam, takes you to the feet of Krishna. So Pujapat Sridhar explaining this, gave it as a graphic. There's two circles, one circle, large circle, and a smaller circle. The large circle is Hari nam, nam, Mahamantra, because that 
extends down to anybody. There's no qualification other than your faith. Shadavam Janohe Shadavam. He said, Paramahapu uh, said, open the marketplace to give out the holy name. And what was the price? Only your Shraddha. You don't need to be celibate. You don't need to be free from desire. You know, all the other qualifications necessary for a stunning old again. I'm just your faith in now. Take it. So it goes down to anybody. Doesn't matter what caste you're from, what gender you're from, what country you're from, so forth. And Krishna goes all the way to Krishna Chara and to the feet of Krishna. Because in Goloka, they're also chanting Krishna Nam. Many instances. Every day coming back from the cows, there's Nam, Nam Sankirtan. Coming back with the cows, Krishna and his friends. And the village is here. And they're going, they're going to this way. So, Inside that bigger circle is a smaller circle. And this is the, then the, the range of the Diksha Mantra. It doesn't go down this low. It, it, it's shared with someone who has qualified themselves by chanting the Harinam at the discretion of Gurudev. And then he sees, oh, seriously, understanding better. Uh, it says, uh, uh, maybe capable, a little more capable for Participating in other services, we understand, like Archon, for example, that's maybe a factor, but not the whole thing. So we need to give the Diksha Mantra. Diksha Mantra then helps the conditioned soul, as mentioned in Bhakti Sandarva, to come to the point of Samsara Moksha, which means Swarup Siddhi, in Gaudi Vaishnavism. Swarup Siddhi. And then its efficacy is reached. Leaves off and goes, Arinam takes the rest away. Let me give you an example. In Brihad Bhagavatamrita, the protagonist is Gopal Kumar. He chants his Diksha Mantra. He goes everywhere, right? He goes all the way to Dwarka. Then he meets Nara again and Uddhava. Uddhava instructs him, go back to Braj on earth and do Nam Kirtan and have your favorite name with Krishna and Lila Smarna. So then he goes there and he's, he's not chanting his mantra anymore. Very prominent feature of the whole book is he chants his mantra and he goes to Siddhartha. He chants mantra, he goes to Brahma. He chants mantra, he goes to the Vaikuntha. He goes to Ayodhya. He goes to Dwarka. This is called Kramukti, going from one place to the next, step by step by step. It's a teaching. But follow the teaching. Dwarka, he wanted to go to Braj. He didn't go out. And, and, and Udo sent him back to Earth in Braj and said, Do not get that he chanted his mantra anymore. Mantra had reached its efficacy. He attained Swarup City. Then he continued with Nam Sankirtan and entered into the Loka. Pretty well. Pretty well. So I think you want that mantra and you want that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what else? Okay, this question was from Bhakti Ross. She thought it might be a little complex for the end of the class, so you can decide. Um, just that you had mentioned that Gaudi Vaishnavism is broad and can accommodate different perspectives. 
is there room to accommodate both that bhakti is inherent and gifted? <laughs> gifted. Um, well, bhakti uh, no Thakur made statements to the effect that he's inherent. He was a gifted person. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that... Um, um, that your um, the main emphasis in, a, in both cases is that in order for one to attain frame bhakti, one needs sarvasanga. Mm-hmm. So bhakti Nod may have taught in a certain way in his time, given the circumstances, emphasized in a certain way um, that um, was different. In the way that uh, Jiva Goswami wrote about it. Jiva Goswami had a very sharp pencil when he was writing. But you know, Tapu is trying to elaborate on what he said and make it accessible to common people. Sandarvas weren't, re- weren't written for common people. They weren't. They were written for theologians. Massive people are not theologians. So it's really weird. We see that Bhakti Vinod put his teachings in a novel, form of a novel, and he's trying to cover a lot of ground. You know, for example, in Jayadam, he's trying to cover many texts. Mm-hmm. He's trying to cover the Sandharvas, the last parts all from Ujjmali and Ilani, and he's just ripping through it, you know, compared to the time it's taken and all the commentaries written on, for example, Ujjmali and Ilani and all the, and how large the Sandharvas are. He's obviously giving a condensed, uh, form of it and, um, and in a way that's, uh, accessible to people who aren't theologians. So he may have chosen to talk about it in a way that um, sounds like it's different than Jiva Goswami talked about it, but you can look at a number of his statements that seem to correspond entirely, and seem a little different. So in that sense, uh, yes, uh, he seemed to think so, and he was successful. But you're asking, does one have to figure it all out and know exactly? And uh, some might, some may not. <laughs> Depends what you're like. Mm-hmm. But if you know that you need sadhusanga, this is this is the very janma of bhakti. Mm-hmm. It's born from that. You will grow from that. Song, strong, song scar for that. Take advantage of sadhusanga. Then. Um, it shouldn't be uh, much of a problem, and you probably don't even think about it. Mm. So it's it's again, it's a theological point. I mean, it's, it's, the way Jiva Kusali makes the point is is pretty clear. But again, I think he's writing with a really sharp sharp pencil. And most people are are uh, I guess not, not theologians. Um, it's true that the Bible will arise out of this out of uh, Tattva. So it's important to know the tattva. There's a there's a there's a there's a an article coming from Bhakti you know, called Brahma Tattva, which says um, confusion about the philosophy is an article that gets in the way of one's progress. But if you read carefully, where he says that what he describes as examples, they're very broad. They're broad, like you think. 
chanting of Krishna, chanting Kali, they're all names of God. So the same. You guys got that one down, right? <laughs> so we're not talking about real fine tuned theology. So Bhakti Mano may have taken some liberties there given the time um, in which he was, where sometimes they were selling swaroops and gurus uh, were not conducting themselves in ways that uh, they should have in the Gaudiya Sampadaya. But to come to me, just chant, it's in the heart of the Kama. There may have been something the way he was thinking when he spoke like that, it's possible. Others may have other ways of trying to harmonize it. But um, I would say, you know, given the way in which the issue becomes it has become a little bit of um, uh, what do you call it? Divisive. Mm-hmm. It might be better to speak about it in ways that tones tones it down within within reason, without compromising one's own understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you go into it real deep. You're kind of going in, the, in, the, in circles. If you say. In a broad sense, bhakti is inherent because the sarup of the jiva is to be a das and Krishna, therefore everyone has a destiny to be a servant of Krishna. And Krishna knows everything, so he must know what, what your service would be. So it must be already predestined. In that sense, it must be inherent. And you say, well, if it was like that, then there would be, what would you call it, say, partiality. So, okay, we'll put it in the hands of Bhakti. Bhakti gives Bhakti. She must know. She gives the Bhakti, but she only does what Krishna wants. And then go around and around. A little bit. Um, but I think it's very clear. And something that has become clear to, to a lot of devotees on this issue in, in times recently where it came up in the, in the international community of Gaudi Vaishnavas, mm-hmm. that, that bhakti, which is constituted the Sarup Shakti, is not part of the constitution of the jiva, which is the way in which some people were interpreting some of the things that bhakti notes said. So even the, the, he who is now the loudest spokesperson for championing what Bhakti Vinodhaku said, says, oh, that's not what he meant, hmm? which is how a lot of people took it to be. So that point has been cleared up. Hmm? It's Rup Shakti, which is Krishna's internal energy, that Bhakti is constituted of, is the essence of. Hmm? That is not part of the constitution of the Jiva, but the Jiva will imbibe that by Sada Sangha. Hmm? So, some clarity. Anyway, nice to sit with all of you online and off, and um, I hope you're back online for more questions next week and back here again sooner than later. Anam Tukuti Vaishnavindadita. Hare Krishna.